Part 2. To the Monastery The Buddha's discourse on the highest blessings found in the Sutta Nipata has the following verse. To be patient and open to admonishment, to have contact with monastics, and to participate in Dhamma discussions on due occasions, this is a great blessing. A monastery is to be found at the heart of almost every Thai village. Its entrance is usually through an open archway rather than a lockable gate. Lay Buddhists go in and out of the monastery every day, offering food in the morning, visiting the abbot, making merit, or perhaps just taking a shortcut to the other side of the village. During Luang Por's lifetime, the village headman, the head teacher at the local school, and the abbot of the monastery were the acknowledged leaders of the community, with the abbot as the senior member of the triumvirate. On the other hand, the strength of the relationship between rural communities and the forest monasteries was more varied. There were a number of reasons for this, mostly practical. The monasteries might be situated anywhere up to five or six kilometers from a village, and especially before the advent of motor transport, getting there and back could take a considerable chunk out of a working day. The Dhammayut forest monasteries, established by Lungpu Man and his disciples throughout northern Isan, were intended to create the most peaceful and secluded environment possible for monastic training, and so they sought to reduce contact with the lay community to a minimum. Lay people were welcome to go to the monasteries in the morning to offer food and to request teachings or advice from the abbot after he had finished his meal. But these wats would not accept invitations for monks to take their meal in lay people's houses on auspicious occasions or to enter the village to chant the verses for the newly deceased. The observance day would pass like any other. There would be no lay people taking eight precepts and staying overnight in the monastery. The abbot would rarely give a formal discourse to the lay community. The result was a lack of distractions for the monks, but at the same time, a reduction in the positive impact that a good monastery could produce in local communities. It's in his policy towards the lay Buddhist community that Luang Po differentiated himself most clearly from the majority of Luang Bu Man disciples. It's clear to see from the accounts of the lay supporters of Wat Bapong how much importance Luang Po gave to teaching and training them, the time he was willing to put into encouraging them to live good lives, year in, year out, endeared him to them. Luang Po's more inclusive style of teaching, integrating the teaching of monastics and lay supporters, was linked to his emphasis on wisdom as the heart of spiritual life. He wanted people to understand themselves and to know how to live their lives wisely. For householders, that included giving advice on everything, from basic principles of hygiene and diet, to how to rear children and make an honest living, and extended to the means to develop meditation and insight. It was a seamless teaching. He instructed his lay disciples that study and insight into the simple, undeniable truths of their bodies and minds, could transform every aspect of their lives. In most other forest monasteries, Dhamma practice was seen to demand the development of high levels of concentration or the intensive application of specific meditation techniques.
In such monasteries, monks often viewed the lay people as living in conditions incompatible with the quiet and seclusion required for such profound inner cultivation. Owing to this view, a rather dismissive attitude to the local villagers could take hold. In gist, practice generosity, keep the five precepts, that's good enough. Perhaps uniquely amongst forest teachers, on every observance day, Lung Po would lead the lay community in meditation and chanting and give them discourses that could last many hours at a time. The lay supporters were given a sense of belonging and a pride in themselves as Dhamma practitioners and as disciples of the forest monastery. People who spent time at the forest monastery were not universally praised. One common view was that monasteries were a last resort for people who had problems they were unable to solve. One reason why there were always fewer men than women amongst the lay supporters was that many men were afraid that going to the monastery regularly would be seen as a public admission that they had difficulties they were unable to deal with, a prospect that few males of any culture can bear with equanimity. The converse of this idea was that if life was going well, then there was, as yet, no need to go to the monastery. It had long been the custom in Thailand to consider the study and practice of Dhamma to be a pursuit for the elderly. Youth, apart from a rite of passage ordination for the men, was for education and enjoyment. The middle years were for raising a family, and old age was for going to the monastery to do good deeds and find some inner peace. In Dhamma talks, Lung Po constantly encouraged people to abandon this way of thinking. The monastery, he said, was a refuge from the stresses and strains of daily life. It was a place where people could take a step back from their lives, take an overview and learn life skills that would stand them in good stead in their daily life. If they left it too long, it might be too late. He teased people who waited to go to the monastery until they could no longer sit on the floor and were too deaf to hear the Dhamma talks. Worse than that, they could die first. And the only way a corpse gets to go to the Wat is when it's carried there for cremation. Apart from the people who believed that they had too little suffering to need to practice Dhamma, there were those who felt they had too many worries to make it worthwhile. Even if they went to the monastery they believed, it would be a waste of time. They could never find any peace until their troubles were sorted out. To Lung Po, this was like someone saying that they would not go to see the doctor until they were feeling better. At the monastery, everyone could learn ways to handle the stresses of their situation better. Did the Buddha wait until he was free of defilements before going to the Wat? Was he free of worries? On a daily basis, contact between the Sangha and the laity revolved around the offering of the daily meal. Every morning, local villagers would walk to the monastery to help the nuns with cooking side dishes to supplement the food gathered by the monks on alms round. Any food that was left over after the monks and nuns had taken their share would be distributed amongst them and then taken home for their families. One of the women who seldom missed a day for many years said, Lung Po taught us about preparing food to offer the monks. Fermented fish, for example. 
he told us to boil it first before putting it into the chilli sauce and mixing it with the green papaya salad, because raw meat was forbidden by the vineyard. He said raw fermented fish and meat were food for tigers. We are cultured human beings, he said. We should eat cooked food. That's the kind of advice he gave. We tried out the things he suggested at home, and it was good and beneficial, and had no drawbacks. We didn't get liver flukes like the people who eat raw foods. Lung Po didn't want us to smoke or drink alcohol either, and that was good for us too. It was good for our health, and it saved us money as well. The monastery kitchen was overseen by the nuns. In it, the vinya rules and conventions relating to food were strictly adhered to. The nuns were devoted to cleanliness and order, mindfulness and attention to detail. They achieved a high degree of cleanliness, one especially impressive for a building largely open to the elements. Wooden slats and wire netting might protect the kitchen against rats, but lizards and other smaller creatures were undeterred. Given the rather lax attitude to hygiene found in most farming communities of the time, the spotlessness of the kitchen came as a revelation to the village women who offered their assistance. It introduced them to a whole new standard of hygiene. The influence of the Watpapong kitchen gradually spread to the villagers around it, a tangible reminder of the positive influence that a monastery could exert in its local area, even in mundane matters of diet and hygiene. Observance Day The weekly lunar observance day was the day that Luang Por encouraged his lay supporters to come to the monastery and receive teachings. Many would arrive in time to offer the morning meal and not leave until dawn of the following day. During this 24-hour period, Luang Por would give two Dhamma talks, one in the morning and a long, sometimes very long one at night. During the day, people would rest, read Dhamma books, meditate, sweep leaves. Outside of the harvesting period in October-November, members of farming communities could choose their day of rest. People working in the town and city could only manage the full observance day when it fell on the weekend. The numbers would grow in the evening as those who had been working during the day arrived. In the morning, all the lay community would formally request the eight precepts for the duration of their stay in the monastery. This entailed, amongst other things, abstaining from food after midday, dressing in simple, modest clothes, everyone wore white, and refraining from wearing makeup and jewellery. Every observance day, the monastic community would spend the whole night meditating in the Dhamma Hall. The laymen and laywomen would join them. Luang Po recommended those who could not find time to go to the monastery to nevertheless make the observance day a day to give special attention to their actions and speech, and to devote time to reflection and inner cultivation. He advised them to refrain from all entertainments for the day, give up their evening meal and sleep alone on the floor, using the time freed by such renunciation to study Dhamma and to meditate. 
if they could not manage every observance day. Then they should at least try on the two big ones, the full moon and dark moon days. There are 30 days in a month. Divide them up. Give 26 to the world and four, the half moon, full moon and dark moon days to the monks. For these four days every month, try to get to the monastery. There, you can take a rest from worldly activities and keep pure sila. On these four days, you don't make any bad gamma. Four days, that's all. More than four, and nobody would want to take it on. As lay people, I understand that it's normal to create bad gamma at times. But the Buddha asked you to refrain for at least four days a month. If you find the time every month, then in two months that's eight, and in a year a lot of days. But if you make every day into an ordinary people day, how are you ever going to truly flourish as a human being? How will your mind ever be radiant and know the way things are if you don't practice, if you don't make the time? It's not possible. Entering the monastery, all worldly matters were to be left outside. No gossiping about family or work or local scandals was to be tolerated. The elders were encouraged to be good examples to the younger members of the group. Those of you who want to smoke or chew betel nut, go outside the monastery gate. In the morning, after you've taken the eight precepts, had your meal and listen to a Dhamma discourse, then go outside and practice walking meditation. After that you can take a short nap, but don't let it be for very long. After a suitable time, get up promptly and go and do some sitting meditation. Following your evening bath, go to the hall and practice sitting meditation for a while longer before evening chanting. After chanting, relax for a short while, but don't chat. This was a time to put effort into practice. Coming to listen to a talk on Observance Day, it's not enough to simply turn up at the monastery. Just as a cloth has to be clean before it can absorb any dye, so each person coming to the monastery should prepare themselves in the right way. They should dress themselves in clean and appropriate clothing, cleanse their actions and speech, and make a determination to cleanse their mind, to make it ready to receive the Dhamma. Lumpur's Dhamma talks were eagerly awaited by the local villagers. Sometimes he wouldn't talk for so long. After a certain time, he would say, From now on, pay attention to a silent discourse. And he would start to meditate there on the Dhamma seat. We'd sit there waiting, but he wouldn't say anything more. The first time, I was drowsy and wanted to sleep, but I didn't dare with him still seated up there and so I ended up sitting right through the night. In those days, Long Po gave marvellous talks. If you missed one of his talks, you felt hot and dry inside. 
You never felt bored when he spoke, even if it was something you'd heard many times before, because he always had new ways of saying it that were worth listening to. Receiving Guests Luang Por became steadily more well-known throughout the 1970s, and the number of visitors to the monastery increased accordingly. Taking advantage of the American-funded upgrading of Isan's road network during the Vietnam War and the rise in disposable incomes, Thai lay supporters were, for the first time, able to travel to Isan from other parts of the country to pay their respects, make merit and receive teachings from the great forest masters. As a consequence, more and more of Luang Por's days were spent sitting under his guddi receiving guests. In later years, particularly on weekends or holidays, he might be sitting on his wicker seat teaching by nine o'clock in the morning and hardly rise from his seat until the afternoon or evening as a steady stream of people flowed in and out of the central area of the monastery. The lack of rest and exercise this entailed started to affect Luang Por's health. One wealthy lay supporter became concerned and asked permission to build a fence around Luang Por's kuti so that it would be easier to restrict access to him. Luang Por refused outright. Ajahn Wirapon, one of his attendants at the time, remembers him saying, They come a long way. They don't have much free time. It would be such a shame if they were to come so far to see me and then be disappointed. Once, during a period of ill health, a monk asked him how he dealt with all the demands for his attention and blessings. Luang Por replied, If I still had wrong thinking, I'd probably have died a long time ago, because there are a lot of people here all day. But... It's as if there's nobody at all. If you have right view, then there is nothing. There is nobody coming and nobody going. The mind just rests in its native place. The Buddha's teaching that it's a great blessing to meet with wise people is one that has taken deep root in Thai society. Apart from local farmers and their families, Lumpur's guests came to encompass the whole spectrum of Thai society, government employees, academics, politicians, soldiers, scientists, police officers, business people and bankers, doctors and nurses, university students, school teachers and their pupils. These people came from the surrounding area and from other parts of Isan, from Bangkok and from other regions of the country. Some came from overseas. People came for different reasons. To pay their respects. To make offerings. To ask questions about private problems or matters of Dhamma. Or to listen to a Dhamma talk. Luang Por was never seen to favour any one particular group. It was clear that he tried to give everyone equal time and attention and seemed completely indifferent to social status. His attitude is expressed well by a story told of a great master in Japan. It is said that an old student went to visit the master after a long absence caused by the demands of a burgeoning political career. At the abbot's residence, the man gave the attendant monk his card, upon which his elevated status in the government was elegantly inscribed. 
After a short time, the attendant returned with the card and the news that the master knew no such person. The old student, after frowning for a moment, took out a pen and, scribbling on the card, obliterated the characters denoting his title. The attendant monk took the card back to the master and shortly afterwards returned to usher the man within. One of the ideals of the Buddhist monastery is that people of all walks of life mingle together, unified by a sense of themselves as fellow Buddhists, rather than divided by identification with family background, income or livelihood. If there is an aristocracy, it is one of age. Respect for the elderly and close attention to their wishes remains. This temporary suspension of social divisions is an ideal, and one frequently forgotten in Thailand today, but it was something that Luang Por strongly encouraged. Luang Por was famed for his ability to teach the most profound matters in simple terms that his listeners, whatever their background, could understand. He was adept at tailoring his manner and vocabulary to the needs of his audience. Many people who had grown up with the idea that the Dhamma was far too profound for an ordinary person to grasp found listening to him an exhilarating experience. A common reaction was that he brought the teachings alive for them for the first time. On one occasion, a visitor who had seen a number of Western monks in the monastery asked Lung Po how many languages he could speak. He replied, Oh, lots! I can speak the language of villagers, the language of merchants, the language of soldiers. I know so many languages. Invitations Luang Po did little teaching outside of the monastery. He observed that when lay people were in their own environment, they were rarely as open to the Dhamma as when they made the effort to come into the forest. In the monastery, the peace and lack of interruptions, the physical separation from worldly concerns and comforts, the emotions that arose from entering an environment devoted to spiritual goals, all assisted in creating the conditions conducive to the absorption of Dhamma. Luang Por would not accept invitations to the kind of public functions in which it was considered mandatory to include a short homily from a senior monk the numbers of which steadily increased as he became more well-known. Some organisers of these events were well-intentioned. They hoped that his presence might inspire people, who would otherwise never go to a monastery, to take an interest in the Dhamma. Others simply felt that the presence of such a renowned monk would add prestige to the proceedings. In either case, Luang Por would not accept the invitations. He said that it was a waste of time and disrespectful to the Dhamma to teach in places where much of the audience was only listening in the most perfunctory way, where some were carrying on conversations while he spoke, and some had alcohol on their breath. Luang Po made an exception to his refusal to accept invitations outside the monastery in the case of merit-making ceremonies at the homes of long-time lay supporters. On such auspicious occasions, a wedding or moving into a new house, for example, 
it was customary for lay Buddhists to invite monks to receive their daily meal in the house and to chant auspicious verses of blessing for the family and assemble friends and relatives. Luang Por accepted such invitations as a gesture of appreciation for long and devoted support for the monastery. He would administer the five precepts, lead the auspicious chanting, and after receiving gifts of food and requisites, would deliver a rousing Dhamma talk. Finally, before leaving, he would sprinkle lustral water on everyone's head to the sound of the monks chanting the Jayanto protection verses. These were occasions that the families involved would always treasure. In his fifties, Luang Po contracted diabetes. It strengthened his disinclination to accept invitations outside the monastery, as the increased need to urinate made sitting for long periods impractical. It was for this reason that he was willing to endure the criticisms that resulted from declining highly prestigious invitations from the king and queen to attend functions at the royal palace in Bangkok. 